Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. In Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had leather a belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, and people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from, from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with the water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barns and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be God. You may be seated and as you are, let us pray together. Oh God, may your spirit come and stand between you and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and transformed into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we have gathered, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. So how many of you have boxed up all those Christmas decorations and put them in the attic. Ours still sit in the garage, right? But they're all nestled together, neatly packed together, and there's labels on the outside, and we're going to put them out. And then what will we do next November? We'll bring them back out, and we will simply use those to adorn the tree in the house again. 
My wife has even taken an extra step to one to say, these are the things we're not going to use next year. Yeah, right. So we'll keep them for a year. Then when we get them out next year, we'll take them to a donation center so people can use them more around the season. Makes sense. Every time we start the new year and we think about renewing our baptism, one thing that we have a tendency to do is we let our, our secular mindset of the habits of our culture, like renewing our driver's license, renewing things, to think, oh yeah, this is just baptism. We'll, we'll, we'll renew it and then, well, well, we'll go keep doing the same things we've been doing. Well, the reality, this day is meant to be a radical call to you and to me to remember that in the waters of our baptism, as Wesley said, we are no longer our own. We're yours, God. This is not simply about putting something up for a period of time. This is not simply about, simply about rearranging the furniture or reorganizing things or redecorating. This is literally about a sort of a, a spiritual cleansing. It's time not to simply pack up things to use them later. It's time to clean them out, to declutter, to, to carry it to the curb, as we would say, because we're not going to use it anymore to take the, the residue of what's happened in a past year using the calendar not to determine our lives, but to give us the opportunity to think about what does it mean to be people who have been washed in the water and loved by God? Part of our distinctive flavor in Methodism, I like to call it the Methodist seasoning. I don't want to diminish that there are significant differences but I want to take a little lighter approach for us and think about it. You've got kind of Baptist seasoning, Catholic seasoning, Methodist seasoning. It's, it's different sort of nuances. And around the issue of baptism, we have made more division in the churches than I think is really necessary. And it's kind of disappointing. Now, one thing you need to know is that our understanding of baptism in the United Methodist Wesleyan tradition is that when one is baptized, it does not represent the individual who's made the decision. It represents the activity of God reaching to a relationship. Okay, that's why you can say, well, how can you baptize this little child? They're only three weeks old. They can't do anything for themselves but fill their diaper. What more radical representation of God reaching to relationship that when you could do absolutely nothing, the church is the body of Christ surrounded you and reached to you. It's about belonging for us in our tradition. Now, part of the gift of that is that when you're in the family and you kind of know those things, we can bring the children, but we also have a great part of our tradition that recognizes not everybody's been raised in the life of the church and so this is not as if, if you miss that moment, you're out. I mean, do you remember when it used to be a time when there would be more people to play a little game than the court could hold, for basketball example, and as enough people were picked to fill the court, someone would say, game is closed, you're out. That's not the church. The church's phrase is game is always open, court is always open, it's always available. So whether you're an infant who's been brought and then grow to a place to respond to your baptism and profess your faith, or whether you come to a moment of faith when you're in sixth grade and you're at a youth retreat, whether you're 80 years old in a wheelchair, and I have done a baptism for an 80-year-old in a wheelchair who never surrendered their life, this water of baptism represents God reaching to us. And let me be clear, you are not getting rebaptized today. Okay, we're not doing that. You are remembering in the waters of your baptism God's claim upon your life because you may not, I don't remember my baptism. It was somewhere in Pennsylvania. My grandfather did it. 
uh, with my father, both of them Methodist ministers, but you know who's never forgotten my baptism? The one who represents God is never forgotten. Now let's unpack biblically what's happening here. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, and I love it when people will say to me, you know what, I was baptized just like Jesus. And I say, oh really, you're Jewish. They kind of, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, as I've said time and time again, listen to the text. There was no established mode of Christian baptism when John was baptizing people. That's the first thing we need to understand. This is an act of Jewish ritual cleansing in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. This is why John is irritated because out come the Pharisees and Sadducees. And does he say, hey man, great to see y'all here today. Come on down to the water. No, he didn't lean into brother, where art thou? And sing a little song to come on down to the water. He didn't even try to be a George Clooney and say, Delmer's done found religion. Right? He yells at him, you brood of vipers. And what he connects is this sense of repentance that one's life should bear the fruit reflective of what they are. It's, you know, we always love to say in the Methodist tradition, it's absolutely true theologically, we are justified by faith, and this is a truth. Equally true is you can be justified by faith, but you're going to be judged by your fruit. Both are true. This Jewish act of ritual cleansing was to prepare one for the coming of the Messiah. And in the same way that Jesus transforms the understanding of what happens around Passover and the Seder meal to become Holy Communion, the early church leans into this understanding. It is grasped, it is celebrated, even taught by Jesus, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a command that we're given. And so we come to those waters, but we do so recognizing it's God who is the actor, not us. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And I know words are small, but they're important. My friends, you cannot take Holy Communion. I know we say that sometimes, and I know what we mean by that, but you can receive Holy Communion, but you can't take it because it's a gift. And then sometimes in our vernacular, people will say things like, I found Jesus, I got saved. And I understand the importance of this individual relationship. Now remember, your faith needs to be individual, but it cannot be private. You need an individual relationship, but it can't be a private relationship. But even that little subtle, I got saved or I found Jesus can give the indication that it really is me-centric. It's about me finding Jesus, about me getting saved, when the reality is God's been reaching for a relationship for every part of his creation. And he made it really clear in the cross when Christ was crucified with open arms. So really what you did when you came to faith is you responded you respond to a God who already loves you, already reaching for a relationship with you. When we started a church in Allen, Texas, I've told the story a hundred times, I'll tell it quickly again. We started a church in Allen, Texas. We didn't have 
the gymnasium fully reserved by the school district. I had already started my doctorate work. They already bought a parsonage. They already said, we expect you to start a church. And so I'm in this limbo season after having moved the family from Nocona, Texas to Allen, Texas. We can't do anything yet because we don't know where we're going. We don't know if we... I was... So I'd already been to the, to the United Methodist Church Start Pastor School. I mean, I was, re- I was ready to go. And a knock came on the door one day, and a little boy was standing there. And at the curb by the mailbox was another gentleman. And I opened the door, and he just said, We're so-and-so from such-and-such a church. We don't want to know if you found Jesus yet. Now, I'd been working through all of this. He didn't know what he stumbled into, right? I've been working through all of this, and the house was, uh, because we'd had no place to meet, it was a brand new community that was burgeoning. There was no storefronts to rent. There was nothing but a Sunday to meet at a school. They bought a 3,400-square-foot parsonage. We had no formal dining area. We had no formal sitting area. That was the church. The upstairs family game room, that was the children's ministry space. The house on Wednesday night was youth ministry space, Right? So I'm all excited about where I'm going, but this kid's question just hits me wrong. And I turned around, leaving the door open, and there was an open entryway with a staircase that went up. And I turned around and said, hey, Sean, have you found Jesus? This kid lost him. (laughs) And I turned around, I kid you not, the kid's eyes were this big. It's like, man, nobody trained us for that response, right? (laughs) The adult heard me and had already gone, oh, man. I don't know. I would love to know what was going through that adult's mind by the curb, you know. I said, young man, I applaud your effort, what you're talking about. But you see, I don't have to find Jesus. He's found me. I have been found by the one who's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one before whom every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. That's the one who's found me. But Jesus isn't lost, young man. I was the one who was lost, but now I've found my blight. And I just rolled into it. I finished. He said, oh, okay, have a nice day. (laughs) And off he went. I love the evangelical fervor, but really at its core is about have we responded? And we do this every year and it can feel monotonous, but the reason we do this each year is because life has been different and our lives spiritually are like that piece of Velcro that picks up every fuzz that's hanging around, the resentment, the frustration, the anger, the angst, and it sort of sticks to us. And we need to put a spot in life where we say, I come to this moment and I say, God, I'm not mine, I'm yours. And you've said that already in the covenant renewal prayer. In a moment when you get prepared to leave, you're going to be invited to come forward and touch the waters of baptism. I've placed some water from the River Jordan in each of the bowls that are here. And you come and you touch these waters if you desire. Just put them on your hands. If you like the sign of the cross, you can do this, and I'll put the sign of the cross on you. Our liturgist, April Quiker, I was talking to her about how in, if you get out your hymnal and you can find around page 50 or so uh, in little small numbers, Traditionally, what will happen is for baptism renewal, the celebrant for the service will go through all the words and will come down. And I was telling April about this, and the celebrant would put their hands in the water and then do this, and that's to remember your baptism. Uh, Alice, did you feel that? Uh, let, let me try again. And so it, it, it's ceremonial, but you don't really, I mean, it's just different when you can touch the water. So I want you to come today if you desire. You can touch the waters, you can kind of rub your hands around them. If you desire, just say, hey, I'd like the sign of the cross. There's nothing magical about it. But when you do that, and whether you touch the waters, 
or whether you even come forward, you're going to participate in renewing your yes to God, your covenant renewal for God has already said yes to you in Christ. Now, part of the beauty of why I choose to be, I'm a, I'm a cradle Methodist and I'm an intentional Methodist. I mean, I was born into Methodism and I've stayed Methodist because I love our theology of baptism. It allows me to baptize by sprinkling or pouring or dunking. I've had some parents say, can you baptize my teenager again by immersion and hold them under a little longer? But I've done, it's an incredible privilege because, you see, it represents the activity of God. So when people come to transfer membership in our tradition, because we believe it's God who's acted, whether you were baptized as an infant or as an adult, we acknowledge your baptism. You've heard me say that before. We acknowledge your baptism, your commitment to Christ, and welcome you to this community of faith. So the joke I love to tell is this. If you go to a congregation that celebrates what's called believer's baptism, not wrong, just different, where you have to profess your faith in order to be baptized. If you go there from the Methodist church, they're going to tell you, hey, if you want to join our church, you've got to be rebaptized. But if I get a Baptist or an independent coming to the Methodist church, we just dry cleaned you. <laughs> Look, it's God who this activity represents, not you and me. And it is the beautiful convergence of a church that stands in a rich tradition of liturgical history, a liturgy that reminds us whenever we get to control everything, we tend to avoid the kind of grace that confronts and challenges our self-centeredness. And also a part of the Reformation theology that says it is important for you to have that kind of individual, personal relationship with Christ that transforms your life. I want to invite you to this moment, actually in an odd kind of way. At the end of each year, I accumulate books through the year in about October, and I, and I jump into a season of, of reading about different things around leadership and spirituality to prepare me for the coming year. A book I've been working with is by Sean Glaze. It's entitled Staying Coachable. And for me, it's this part that I'm needing to read to say, how do I get confronted about how do I be open? How do I continue to listen to an amazing staff team and people so that as I walk as pastor, I'm doing the best I can to say, hey, where are we going together? Where, where, where I've got some growing edges, where do I need to change some things? And he writes in this book an engaging story about a father and son, Wallace and Max, and they decide to go hike the Narrows in Zion National Park. Both of them are frustrated. Dad's frustrated over the changes at his work, and he's being really resistant. The son, well, he's really frustrated that there's a new coach and he's got basketball tryouts coming out. And, and they encounter a woman named Gail who listens and agrees to help them with their frustrations if they're committed to making change. And so that sort of narrative plays through. But in the middle, there's this fantastic paragraph. has absolutely nothing to do with our baptism and renewing it and everything to do with it. Listen to this. We often begin to look for external solutions for the frustrations we feel, but we take that frustration with us wherever we go. The solution is to deal with what's going on inside of us. But instead of growing, we are rearranging. We want circumstances to change rather than change ourselves. When the dust settles, more often than not, 
all of the rearranging will result in the same frustrations in a new context. Friends, there's stuff that you and I need to just, as the calendar's flipping over, just leave in 2021. There are things we need to just say, God, I've carried this long enough. I want to lay it down. There's some things you don't need to put in a Tupperware container to store in the attic to bring out again. There are things you need to literally just say, I'm done with it. And I don't know what's going in that place, but God, I'm done with it. I'm tired of carrying it and I'm tired of the control it has in my life. Or God, I need to start today to learn how to lay this down. A great way of starting that is to make an internal change. And a great way... In fact, the best way to make the internal change is to remember that you were created by a God who never makes junk and never makes mistakes. A God who loves you, who in Christ displays that love, but also calls you to a life of selflessness, not self-centeredness. A life of serving others and living into this reality that if you think this is all that there is in life, then you're going to walk frustrated. But if you'll come to this realization that this life is not our true home, we're just passing through. We are part of God's family. And nothing that happens in the world around us will change that place. So friends, in a moment when you come to the waters, I invite you to come. You might even want to think about what you want to leave before you touch the waters. But know this, whether you can lay it down today or not, God's going to meet you. And God's going to strengthen you. And God will reveal to you what you need to work on. Or maybe you already know exactly what it is you need to work on. You just need a little bit of a nudge to get to doing it today. Sisters and brothers in Christ... Hear this word that's been spoken for hundreds of years in this tradition. With the sacrament of baptism, we're initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. We're given birth through water and the Spirit. And all of this is God's gift to us, offered to us without price. And so we come to the water, water that refreshes life and nurtures growth, water flowing freely for all, water that brings hope, representing God's reaching to us to offer life. In the presence of God, we As you renew your yes to God, will you turn away from the powers of sin and death? We renounce the spiritual fortress of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sins. As you renew your yes to God, do you accept the call to life in Christ offered to you in Christ? In the power of the Holy Spirit, we accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves. As you renew your yes to God, will you proclaim the good news? And live as disciples of Jesus Christ, his body on earth. Christ is our Savior. We put our whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as our Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to all ages and races. As you renew your yes to God,
Will you be a living witness to the gospel wherever you are and in all that you do? Our life is a Christ. We will answer his call to follow wherever he leads. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we will live faithfully from the waters of our baptism.